Good morning, and welcome to our live broadcast at First Presbyterian. It is a joy to come into your home today with good news about God who loves you. If you're ever in Uptown Columbus, we invite you to stop by and say hello. We'd love to see you, have you worship with us. We'll make you feel like family. At First Presbyterian, we are family. Learning together, growing together, worshiping together. Now we invite all who are able to please stand for our first reading, coming from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Now during those days, when the disciples were increasing in number, the Hellenists complained against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. And the twelve called together the whole community of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should neglect the word of God in order to wait on tables. Therefore, friends, select from among yourselves seven men of good standing, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may appoint to this task, while we, for our part, will devote ourselves to prayer and to serving the word. What they said pleased the whole community, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, together with Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. They had these men stand before the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them. The word of God continued to spread. The number of the disciples increased greatly in Jerusalem, and great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, choir. And God bless America indeed. What an incredible country that we get to call our own and where we get to live. And we are grateful for those who serve. And those who are able are invited to stand now again for the second lesson. It comes from the second half of the sixth, act, sixth chapter of Acts, picking up where we left off. Stephen full of grace and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and others from Sicily and Asia, stood up and argued with Stephen, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he spoke. Then they secretly instigated some men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. They stirred up the people as well as the elders and the scribes. Then they suddenly confronted him, seized him, and brought him before the council. They set up false witnesses who said, This man never stops saying things against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses handed on to us. And all who sat in the council looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Will you pray with me, please? Well, loving God, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's no shadow of changing in you. But you are about transformation. 
You are about newness in our lives. And so we pray that by the sharp edge of your sword, you will cut away falsehood from truth, that you will shape us into a more beautiful image like unto your Son, Jesus Christ, that we might more effectively love, glorify, and serve Him in our bodies, with our words, and by our deeds. We pray this in His holy and precious name. Amen. As we begin this morning, I want to uh, take greetings out to our TV ministry, those who join us either this morning or uh, for the first time or weekly. But uh, there are two folks that I hope are out there watching. Uh, Terry Norris underwent a knee replacement surgery. And Terry, we uh, pray for your convalescence and uh, being back among us very soon, and we bring greetings to you. And also, I told Jean Wright that we would also send greetings to her. She is undergoing some tests at St. Francis. So to the two of you and to any others uh, who may be at uh, a place where you can't be with us, we uh, ask God's blessing upon you today and are glad that you are with us in this way. So we continue this series in the book of the Acts of the Apostles entitled Louder Than Words because we know that actions speak louder than words. And we are going to go through the entire book of Acts. We're in the sixth chapter. There are 28 chapters. So we've got a ways to go. And we're going to be with this book all the way until November. As I said to the 845 crowd, uh, that may seem like a long time to spend in one book of the Bible but it is nothing compared to what Calvin and other preachers of the day would do in terms of preaching one short epistle for years at a time. Maybe this is a, a new discipline for us, but I hope you're reading and studying along in Acts and enjoying the series. This morning at this juncture of our journey in Acts, the church is experiencing growing pains. It was too good to be true that all were together in one place and had everything in common and no one had need of anything. It was only a matter of time before the complaining and the griping, the muttering and the whispers behind the hands would, would start. And that is what we run into in the sixth chapter. The church is growing, but it has growing pains. And the ones who are complaining and murmuring are the Hellenists those Greek-speaking Jews who were part of the diaspora, the dispersion of the Jews, principally at the time of 587 B.C. when the Babylonians conquered Jerusalem and Israel and scattered God's people throughout the region. There were some who were uh, in, in the area of Greece, became Greek-speaking. They are known as the Hellenists. And there is... Uh, word that their widows are not getting enough food in the daily distribution of resources. Now what we need to do here is to, is to say that this is not a, a characteristic that is new to the Christian community. This feeding, this taking care of the needs of those in the community. This is a tradition from the synagogue. It was part of their uh, normal um, cycle of things to care for the hungry, the needy. And so the Christian community is doing what they did in the synagogue in this regard. 
And the Hellenists are saying we are not getting our widows properly fed. They're being discriminated against. My question here is, it, is it when, when people get together in a, in a community, in a collection of relationships of human beings, is somebody always going to be discriminated against, oppressed, put down? Not because of their choices, but because of just who they are? Is that just the way that it goes? I don't know, but there's something of that going on here, even in the church. And the apostles are clear that in the face of this, they cannot be the ones to meet this need. They cannot neglect their calling to make sure that everyone is well fed and that the program is running as it should. In verse 2, the apostles say it is not right that we should give up preaching, ministering in the Word to serve tables. They cannot do it all. They have to make choices. And the truth of the matter is, when we try to do it all, nothing gets done well and all suffer. Individuals suffer. The community suffers. The mission of the community is diminished when those in leadership try to do it all. This, this, this piece of the Acts of the Apostles here marks a new phase that is coming upon the Christian community with this word from the Apostles saying we can't stop preaching the Word, teaching. And so they come up with a division of labor and they assign responsibilities according to gifts. But I, if I were honest with you, it would not be my natural fallback uh, posture to say, let's delegate and let somebody else do it. If it were up to me, I'd try to do it all. With probably not the best results. And who of you are in this camp with me? Those of us who say, it's easier just to do it myself. Or, if you want it done right, you've got to do it yourself. Is there anybody else it kind of operates that way. Well, again, let's be honest. This is the number one ingredient for sure failure in the ways that community op communities operate. Thinking that you have to do it all and then trying to do it all typically meets with disastrous results for that individual, for others, for the community at large. But here the apostles in their wisdom call upon the community to step up. To elect seven from among them to take, the work, take on the work of distributing the food and ministering to the needs for the benefit of all. And they chose those among them, people of good understanding, full of the Holy Spirit they are described to be. It could be said that here at this place in the formation of the early church, we see the establishment of the office of the deacon. The deacon as opposed to the elder. The elder as the one who rules and governs and teaches and, and, and is responsible for the spiritual health and well-being, the direction of the community. And the deacons being those who are called to care for the, the needs of others, to show compassion, to extend themselves with sympathy and service to make sure that the needs are met. 
And so here there comes a distinction between these two types of leadership in this fledgling community. As we think about this, uh, this new phase in the life of the church, I want to just briefly mention some of the insights here that we see as this, this new style of leadership, this new division of labor comes into focus and conclusions that we can draw about the service and the leadership that is being formulated in the community by the Spirit of God. First insight, the apostles and others recognize that there are differing gifts among the community. Yes, the church is the body of Christ. But as Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he writes in such an eloquent way, describing the body as having many parts. And all are needed to perform the one service of working together to serve the head of the body and be obedient to Jesus Christ. And we'll come back to 1 Corinthians 12 in just a moment. But in this new community, they recognize differing gifts in the body. The second insight is that leadership within the church arises from the community's functional needs. As their needs change and grow, they realize that we need to do things differently. The same is true in the ministry of Jesus Christ. Jesus knew from the outset that He could not accomplish what God had given Him to do by Himself. There were only 24 hours in Jesus' day too. Only seven days in Jesus' week. So He called to Himself disciples, followers. And then in turn, those twelve called others into the ministry. And today, the church is still calling men and women into leadership, into tasks, and to areas of responsibility. And as our Reformed tradition would be clear to remind us, that it's not just those who have a title as an officer of the church, deacon, elder, ruling, teaching, elder, but we are all called to serve the body, to glorify the head, and to share the good news of the gospel. The leadership arises from the functional needs within the community and adapts to it. A third insight here is that leadership arises from below. It's not one that is, that is dictated down from above. But the apostles say, elect from among yourselves those who will fulfill this role and meet this need. The leaders arrive from the needs of the people. Those leaders give guidance and offer their service as they have been gifted to do. This calling from among the people from below is, is given to the most unlikely characters. If we look back at the witness of, 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 of Scripture, we see that it was Abraham and Sarah at a very interesting place in their lives when they should be ready to cash it in, retire, and, 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 and rest on easy street, but the call of God comes upon them later in their lives to leave their father's land, to go to a promised land that God would show them, and in their barrenness and old age to bear a son that would then be the father of a multitude of nations. Very unlikely. David, we know the story of King David, the youngest of Jesse's sons, watching the flock. 
But yet out of his youth, out of this pedestrian place, he is called to be the king of Israel, of God's people. Know that it was Moses who was tending sheep. And the reason he was tending sheep of his father-in-law Jethro is because he was on the run. He was a criminal. He was a murderer. Yet it is in his desire for anonymity that, that God speaks to him from a burning bush and places a call upon his life at a most unlikely time. The same is true for Mary, the young girl who was visited by Gabriel and said, it is upon you that the Spirit of God's favor rests and you will bear the Savior of the world when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And the same was probably true for Stephen. Just minding his business, being a part of the community, Maybe he was already waiting on tables. The most unlikely characters at the most unlikely time are called by the Spirit of God. Could it be that the Spirit of God might be placing a call upon your life at an unlikely time in your journey when you would least expect it? A question to ponder, to pray over today and in the days to come. What are the gifts that you have? What are the blessings that God has poured out upon you? And how might be God calling you to use those gifts and to serve a greater good? It comes when we least expect it. And sometimes in the most unlikely ways. A fourth insight here in this new community. The community shows the ability to adapt and change with evolving needs. They responded creatively to this new challenge that was brought on because they were growing. And judging from the names of the seven men that were chosen by the community, it, it, it seems, and scholars would confirm this, that their Greek names would mean that they were Hellenists themselves. So it was the group that was murmuring about the problem with the widows that were not getting enough food or the ones that are chosen to take care of the problem. Now, how well do we know if you want to assure that you will be given a job, complain about the way things are going? But maybe those who see the need and feel it deeply and speak to it are the best ones to step forward with their desires and their passions. Maybe those chosen from the community, those Hellenists, were the best to do the job to meet the needs of those who were being oppressed. So the community showed an ability to adapt and change it with the evolving needs. And so that begs the question for us, what are the changing needs? What are the evolving opportunities for First Presbyterian Church, for the Columbus community, for Uptown in particular, for the church of Jesus Christ as a whole? Some of the things that come to my heart and, and stir my mind are, are a need for us to see more members of this community of faith step forward to become mentors for our young people. To establish yourself in a relationship with young men and young women who need to be mentored and guided and encouraged along their path and growth in the life of faith. It may be that the, the challenge, the involving need is that our choir is aging I mean, has new robes 
and they haven't filled up all of those new robes yet. Tom would love to audition you for the choir. Maybe there is an aging segment of the population of our church that is presenting us with an opportunity to be in ministry and to meet needs that exist there for those among us. Maybe it is through Stephen Ministry. Maybe there's something with low-income housing right here in the neighborhood that we find ourselves to the south and to the north where there's an evolving need to be met, or the changing face of uptown with young singles and married couples and the CSU campus that exists here. This brief account of these opportunities that were grasped by the early community may seem a bit pedestrian, but they show their adaptability and willingness to change and grow. And Luke, the author of Acts, is reminding us that daily care, even daily care of those in the community is a vital ministry. All of this does not have to be something that is devalued or disparaged because it is not so flashy what is happening here. It's not exciting. But it is an outward act of witness. And it is important meeting the needs of those right in our midst. I believe that this may be a growing edge for us at First Presbyterian Church. To look around us and to see where it is that God may be calling us to do just the most simple thing right here in our own community. To change our culture, to change our paradigm, to change our mindset about what it means to be a member of the community and to come and be part of the church of Jesus Christ. I'll include myself in this when I say that I think many times we default to the staff to do it all. That those who wear the white coats and wear the black robes are the ones that we pay to get the work done. No, it is not true. For the church is the body of Christ and all members are part of it and have a valuable part to play so that the body might be well coordinated and work as God designed it to work. What gifts do you have to share? Where do your passions lie? How has God suited you for a particular service? And it doesn't mean that you have to all of a sudden start teaching Sunday school or delivering sermons or, or go into foreign missions. No, it might be just something quite simple and close to home that God has placed upon your heart. I remember reading a few years ago a letter that was written by a person who was spending time looking for a new church home. And what this individual was saying was, what I want churches to know, what I want pastors to know, is that we as newcomers are simply looking for a community in which we can feel valued and where we can be put to work for purposeful ends. It's that simple. And that call is not only upon those who are coming to us, but those who are among us. How is God calling in your life? This call may be as small as operating the copier machine or answering a phone or folding bulletins or delivering meals or calling on homebound widows or widowers in our church or maybe adopting the, 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 the discipline of becoming a Stephen minister or tutoring a, tutoring a struggling student in, in one of the neighboring schools 
or hanging out with youth, as I said, or maybe building a house or organizing an event, or making sure that everyone has a daily bread and volunteering to hand out a sack lunch. But the bottom line is that we are all called to serve. We are all baptized into the one body. Paul writes so eloquently back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the, the foot cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, nor can the eye say to the ear, I don't need you. We are all part of the body, and every part is valued equally. And when one part of the body suffers, we all suffer. And when one part of the body rejoices, we all rejoice. Paul says it again in Ephesians, and I want to read these verses as I close. From the fourth chapter of Ephesians, beginning with the eleventh verse, Paul says it this way, And his gifts were that some should be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature adulthood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the cunning of men, by their craftiness, by deceitful wiles. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body is joined and knit together by every joint with which it is supplied. When each part is working properly, makes the body growth, makes bodily growth and upbuilds itself in love. The Word of the Lord. When we're all doing our part, we become more and more like the body of Christ and in our own sanctification more and more like Jesus Christ who said, I came not to be served, but to serve. Regardless of the call upon your life, we are all called to be servants. And Jesus Christ has shown us how to do it. He became an obedient servant. He laid down His life for us. He gives us His body and His blood to nourish us in the service of His name and to those in need. And we are nourished and we are strengthened by the life of Jesus Christ, the risen one, so that we can be the body of Christ in the world. And it's going to take a lot because it's a challenge to be Jesus' hands and feet. But Jesus has given us everything that we need the nourishment that we need. As a matter of fact, the table's ready. The dinner is served. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Let us pray. Loving God, we thank You. We thank You that You sent Your Son, who though He was, he was God, He did not count equality with you something to be manipulated but became obedient like a servant and poured himself out we thank you for your calling upon our lives in the same manner as you call us to this table you also call us to serve and we thank you for many souls who have gone before us in the service of your son and continue to serve amongst us today and we ask that you would enliven each one of us to stir our passion strengthen us that we might be used for the glory of your Son and for the good of all, empowered by your Holy Spirit today and all of our days. We pray 
In your son's holy and risen name, amen.